If you have your Bibles, Matthew, we have two scriptures that we're reading today. Matthew 16, 13 through 19, and then Ephesians 8, 8 through 13. So we'll start with Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you um, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The next scripture is Ephesians 8. Thank you. But it's the word, is it the right? Okay. So Ephesians 3, 8 through 13? Okay, 8 through 13. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ, and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. Amen. why uh, I do the, the slides. So <laughs> there is no Ephesians 8 in case you wondered. Okay. I do know that. I, I, <laughs> sometimes. Huh? It's, uh, it's right next to first opinions. Um, all right. All right. We're going to be uh, obviously in two, uh, two sections, uh, but you can we'll look at the, the Matthew uh, one and then we'll go to the Ephesians. So we won't go back and forth. So you can start if you're following along in the Matthew passage, and then we'll go uh, to the Ephesians passage. All right, so, so we're going to do a, a mini series starting today. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, what it means to be a member of the church. Okay, so we're going to take three weeks and look at that. We're going to see what scripture says, and we're going to talk about our membership process. Now, what we call members here at Reconcile, we call them partners because members feel like you be chilling. Like, I'm a member. But partners mean we actually we got something to do together. We actually, we actually are partnering together to accomplish a purpose. And so the, this series is called Partners in the Gospel. The church is those who partner together in the gospel to glorify Christ and to accomplish his mission. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. God uses the church to accomplish his purposes and to display his wisdom, to accomplish his purposes and display his wisdom. Uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you help us by the power of the Spirit to understand what is written in your word? Lord, I pray that, that we would take seriously what you take seriously. Lord God, I, I'm asking that, uh-oh, 
I ain't got a Hold up. Y'all better pray. Uh, Lord, I just, I'm asking that we would take seriously what you take seriously. That your word would do work in our hearts. Lord God, that it would, it would instruct us. And not only instruct us, produce the change that it instructs us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, if you've read the scripture, we're going to be talking about the church. What is the church, okay? And what's interesting is if you look at the, the Gospels, this is the only time that, that we have uh, Jesus doing some, some teaching with his disciples at uh, Caesarea Philippi. And so it's really interesting that he would decide to reveal his church at this place. And you're like, why? I don't know what's about that. Where is that at? Caesarea Philippi was a pagan town with a pagan temple at its center. In fact, at the center, it was, it was believed like it was a gateway to the dead, if you will. And it was called the gates of Hades. Okay? So Jesus wasn't just saying, he wasn't just making something up, right? Like there is just, there's like the demon capital of our area. I'm going to go to the demon capital and let you know what I'm about to do. Now, if you know something about Jesus, that's pretty gangster, all right? Let me go to the place where people think that God doesn't dwell and let me show you what I'm going to accomplish. What's interesting is like, why, why would he, why would Jesus choose to reveal his identity there? Why, why, why wouldn't they go to Jerusalem or, or some holy city? I don't know, Mount Sinai. Go, go somewhere where it's like, oh, this is the place where good stuff happens. Why did he go there? Because Jesus chose to reveal his identity and the mission of the church at the height of evil to demonstrate that nothing can stop the spread of the gospel and the growth of his church. It's, it's, like, it's like if Jesus was like, let me, let me tell you something important, but let's go to Las Vegas real quick. You'd be like, Jesus, do you know what's there? What happens there stays there. No, <laughs> like Jesus, like, why are you going to go over there? Like, that's, why don't we go to the church? No, we're going on the strip. No, whoa, whoa, Jesus, do you know where, what, what? You know, it's, it reminds me of this song. This is my three-year-old's favorite song. It's going it's to trip me out when I tell you what the name of the song is. It's called King of the Trap. Some of y'all don't know what a trap is. Some of y'all do. The trap is a location where they sell drugs, okay? But listen, let me tell you, let me tell you about what the, what the King of the Trap song is about. It's about the fact that, that Jesus plants churches in places where you didn't think they could thrive. And you could look at that place and you'd be like, I don't know who's ruling there. But when the church gets planted, it's very clear who's ruling there. That Christ Jesus will post up anywhere. And his church and his gospel will thrive. Now, we, we need to understand something about the level of, of confidence that Jesus has to reveal his identity and his mission right here. See, Jesus thinks his church can thrive in dark places. So what should we think? We can't look at areas and be like, I don't know if it's going to happen. No, 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 no. Jesus says, no, nah, where, where they call the gates of hell, that's where I'm planting my flag. And ain't nothing going to defeat that. And what's, what's interesting is he, he starts to, to show what is the foundation of the church. The foundation of the church is the acknowledgement of who Jesus is. 
See, in verse 13, he says, who do people say that the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? You know, what's so interesting is is we see that there are many opinions about who Jesus is. And the reality is like none of them are bad. Like, it's not like you're like Jeremiah, what? None of them are like really bad things. It's like you're, you're, you're somebody great. You have, maybe you do some miracles. You, you speak really well. The, the, the interesting thing about the opinions about Jesus is not that they were not good. It was that they were not good enough. You can see that in our day. People think, oh man, Jesus, he's a good teacher. He got that wisdom. You need to listen to what he say on the Sermon on the Mount. You do, but that, that's not it. Oh, he's a good ethicist. You know, we should just, we should, we should listen to how he says to treat other people. You should do that, but that's not it. We'll say, oh, he's a miraculous healer. If you're sick, you, you need to go to him. Well, that, that's true, but, but that's not it. And this question, who do you say the son of man is, has to be posed to each and every one of us. And the answer to this question is the most important answer to any question that you will ever give. And our answer may be positive, but we have to ask ourselves, is it high enough? We might have a favorable, listen, we can walk down the street, ain't nobody trashing Jesus. Well, maybe one or two, but they crazy. But some, you know, ain't nobody like, he cool, I like him, he's, he's my dog. No, no, no. What Peter says is he's the Messiah. In other words, he's the king. He, he's the one whom I have to submit my life to. He doesn't, he doesn't only do nice things for me. He doesn't only teach interesting sayings, but he is the one that I have to revolve my whole life around and that there is no section of my life that is mine, but every aspect of my life belongs to him. Because he is the king. See, see, the opinions of Jesus might be good, but are they good enough? And we see that, that only divine revelation can make you see Jesus for who he really is. Look at verse 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you but my Father in heaven. So Peter gets the answer right. Like, you're the Messiah. You're the Lord. You're the Master. You are the King, the one who saves, the one that we've been waiting on for all those promises in the Old Testament. Beloved, this is the, the root of the confession. Jesus is Lord. You'll see that in the New Testament. Jesus is Lord. You can find his roots in this statement. And we have to think for a minute, how does our Lord save? How does our king save? Our king saves in a counterintuitive way. He saves by his death on the cross for our sins. He saves by raising from the dead for our justification, by defeating death, by by stomping Satan to the ground in his resurrection. And then he goes, he goes, you're not only the Messiah, you are the son of the living God. 
that Christ, listen, the, the interesting thing about, about the son-father language, one, one of the ideas is that, that nobody really knows the, the, the father like the son. Like, you can be like, I know about Sam, he's cool. But then you go ask his kid, like, what is he like for real, for real? Like, what's he, what's he like? And, and when Jesus says, I'm the son, he's saying, listen, I'll tell you what God is like for real. I know him. I know him like no other. And let me show you what he is like. He is the one who reveals the father and he is the one who connects us to the father. But the interesting thing is that Peter does not get this information from his natural father. He's like, your daddy didn't tell you that. That's what he's saying. He's not, Simon, son of Jonah, he, Jonah didn't tell you that. It was, it was a divine revelation. And it came from heaven. It came from above. What's so interesting is we could find ourselves arguing with people to believe Jesus. Like, it's interesting that the, the statement, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, like any of us could say that to anybody else. But he's saying, saying but to, to understand it in a salvific way, to understand it in a transformative way, it has to be by divine revelation. Man, this means we need to pray. Yeah? I could tell somebody with the most accuracy, the, the, the most beautiful rhetoric. I could defeat all arguments and have them thinking I'm the smartest person ever. But if the Father does not reveal it, they will not see and they will not understand. This shows our utter dependence on God, even in the work of evangelism, even in the work of discipleship, we can't like finagle it. We can't make it happen in our own strength. We need divine revelation. And that means we need prayer. We need the spirit's power. Beloved, you, you want to grow. You want to grow in your understanding of who Jesus is. You better pray because it's not simply reading the book. It's not simply having somebody tell you something. I need the Spirit's power to transform me so that my life begins to orient around the statement that He is Lord. What we see is one of these rather complex passages coming up in verse 18 and 19. We see that, that Christ Jesus builds His church on the word of the gospel. Look at verse 18. And I also say to you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Y'all, a lot of people say a lot of stuff about these verses, yeah? All right, let's, let's see what it's saying. The first question we got to ask is, is Jesus saying he's going to build his church on Peter? Or is he saying he's going to build his church on the confession? Yeah? So is he going to build it on the man, Peter? Or is he going to build it on the confession of, of what Peter said? And, and what's interesting, I think the answer is, is almost a little bit of both. Because in Acts chapter 2, where we see the birth of the church, there's a man preaching. Who was that man? It was Peter. Peter was preaching this gospel of Christ. He said, the Messiah whom you have been looking for, you crucified him, but God raised him from the dead, declaring that he is the Lord. What we see is that the church is built on the proclamation of the gospel. 
The proclamation of of King Jesus' defeat of sin, of death, and of Satan. We see that the church is built on the confession of the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. When we declare he is Lord, when we declare he is king, and he has saved you by his death and his resurrection, the Messiah who suffered, died, and rose again, this is what builds the church. This is the foundation of the church. Matter of fact, no matter what kind of church you go to, if it's a church, somebody's going to be telling you about Jesus. That's the foundation, the preaching of the gospel. Now, what's this, this keys business? What's he, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. If you bind on earth, and listen to the tense, will have been. Is Peter creating stuff? No, nah, he ain't like, no, nah, yeah, let me make up the rule. No, nah, he's saying, no, nah, nah, you got to say what the rule is. The rules are from the word of God. We look at keys that open and close doors. Those keys are the preaching of God's word themselves. The keys and the door of the church is the preaching of the gospel. Because the preaching of the gospel unlocks the kingdom of God for you. Yeah? When you hear about Christ, when you hear about his love, his, his death for your sins, and you believe in faith, boom, the doors open. And not only that, the gospel is what keeps you in the kingdom. There's all these, these comments in the scripture that are talking about you need to retain the confidence in the confession that you have. The same gospel that saves you in the beginning is the same gospel that sustains you in the middle and is the same gospel that ensures you get to the end. Because every week we are inundated with things that are contrary to the gospel. Where we think, well, based on my performance, I I think I'm, I'm good. No, every week I need to be reminded that the gospel of Christ, the proclamation of his death and resurrection, that is my only confidence in coming to him. And when I hear it, I'm reminded again, oh man, I'm in the kingdom, not because of me and because I got some fancy keys, but because Christ Jesus has brought me. And not only that. The rejection of the gospel and the rejection of God's word either locks you out of the kingdom or kicks you out. Listen, there's a lot of talk about church discipline, right? And, and, and church discipline is when, when someone is living in unrepentant sin. Now, listen, everybody lives in some kind of sin sometime, yeah? So we ain't talking about did you mess up on Tuesday. I'm saying you decided that whatever this, this particular command of God's word I will not and do not obey it. And when someone comes to you, when, when a pastor or an elder comes to you and says, says, listen now, listen, you need to understand you cannot reject God's word in this area of your life. And if there's a continual, I don't know, I don't want to do that. Listen, all church discipline is, is the recognition that you didn't lock yourself out. You walked away. You said, I, I don't, I, the keys are the word, and I don't want the keys. And it's just a recognition, hey, you, I just want you to know what you have done is you done locked the door, and you done started walking the other way, and I need you to see that. But, beloved, the keys of the kingdom are the gospel of Christ and the word of God. Now, when we see this, do you think that Jesus takes the church seriously? Right next to, hey, I'm the crisis, I'm going to build my church. Like right next to it, this, this revelation of who he is is directly connected to, to the institution that he said he is going to build. 
Jesus takes the church seriously, and so did his apostles. We can see what Paul is written in Ephesians chapter 3, that the eternal plan of God was to unite all peoples into the church. Verse 8 said, This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim the, to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ, and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. Now listen, context is what? Context is king. Context is king. And so if you go back to the first part of Ephesians 3 and you go back to the last part of Ephesians 2, you see that it was God's plan to take the Jews and the Gentiles, those who hated one another, who were separated ethnically and culturally and religiously, to take these two people and to make them one. And he repeatedly does that throughout the ages. He takes people from this culture and that culture and that ethnicity. And he says, I'm going to include you all in this one thing called the church. And this is the mystery that was hidden but has been revealed to us now. That he is going to bring reconciliation to all kinds of people. That is part and parcel of God's plan and salvation. We can't talk about the the vertical reconciliation that we have with God unless we at the same time talk about the horizontal reconciliation that we have with one another. And what's interesting is God's wisdom and power are shown through the church. Look at verse 10. This is so God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through what? Through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heaven. Listen now, God is powerful. Because if I wanted to make something known, I don't know if I picked the church. Sometimes we're tripping, yeah? Oh, yeah, I ain't going to be honest. Sometimes we're tripping. <laughs> okay, and I'm like, you want to make it known through who? Like, you better pick somebody up. You know, like, like, like well, through, like, this, and this, but this is the promise of the word. That God says his multifaceted, the, it's like his wisdom is, is a diamond. And you look at the diamond, and you see all these different sides to it. And you're like, oh, man, that's awesome. That's beautiful. When you see the church, you can see all of the different ways that God's wisdom has displayed itself. See, when the church proclaims the gospel, the church proclaims this reconciliation that, that, that we were enemies of God, but God brought us to himself. The church proclaims this redemption, that there was a price to be paid for us, and Jesus bought us. This adoption, that we were strangers and aliens, and Jesus' blood makes us belong to the family of God. We see this propitiation that, that, that we were supposed to pay something for our sins, but Jesus Christ took the wrath of God on our behalf. We see this triumph of Christ over death. Beloved, as the church proclaims the gospel, you see all these different sides, all these different faces of the wisdom of God. And not only that, when, when, when the Bible describes what the church is, you again see these, these different aspects of God's wisdom. It says the church is God's temple. That when God says, I want to make my presence known, he saves a bunch of people and bands them together. And he says, look, that's where I am. That, that the church is the body of Christ. That God wants to do work in this world. And he picks these people and puts them together and says, I'm going to extend my work through them. That God wants to make a new family. That he picks all these people who got different mamas and daddies and says, y'all in the same family right now. And that God wants to show his power. He 
picks all these people and says, this is my kingdom. God assembles this unified entity of the church from every tribe and nation. And the scriptures, and when it says that, that he makes his wisdom known to who? To the rulers and the authorities in the heavens. In other words, in other words, God's establishment of the church is an act of spiritual warfare. So what does Satan want to do? Satan wants to separate people from God. And then God puts a church there and says, let me tell you how you can get reconciled. Satan wants to divide people from one another. And then God says, let me put a church there made of all these different kinds of people. Listen, I want you to understand that the church is like God's victory crown. That, that he displays his victory over all the things that wanted to tear down his creation. Beloved, does God take the church seriously? In the preaching of the gospel, we have union with God. In the preaching of the gospel, we have union with one another. And he goes on to say that we have this access to God now and our ensured glory later. Look at verse 12. In him, we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions in your behalf, for they are your glory. Again, he reminds them the church is the vehicle of God's presence. You know, when I talk to people, people deep down, they really, they really want to know something of the divine. They, they really want to know something of the transcendent. They want to know something about God. And everybody goes looking in all these different places except the place where he promised to be. Where he said he's going to be. With his people. And people are looking every which way to try to find where he is. But listen, that, that, that's exactly how it was in the Old Testament. You remember there's this thing called the tabernacle. It was like this, this, this moving sanctuary. And it was always in the center of God's people. And if any of the nations were like, I wonder where Yahweh is today, they could look at the tabernacle and say, well, it's right in the middle of his people. Beloved, the same is true today. Where is the God of the universe? He is with his people. He is with his church. And he even says, listen, we endure hardships now. Listen, one of the reasons the church endures such hardships is because the purpose for which it, it exists, it is itself a vehicle of spiritual warfare do you, does that make sense why there's so many divisions within the church? Like, like if, if the enemy could break apart the church, then that actually takes away some of the displayed wisdom of God. And he's saying, listen, Apostle Paul, who spends his life going around playing churches, look, 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 y'all, it's hard. I endure hardships. I have afflictions. But let me tell you about something. There is going to be some glory. Jesus is going to establish his church. Jesus is going to unify people in his church. And all the powers of heaven and all the powers of earth will be in awe when they see the wisdom that God has accomplished through his church. Now here's the deal. These passages are talking about the universal church, the big C church. But, but the universal church is expressed through local churches, right? Like you actually got to like, it's like people are like, I'm married. Do you, do you live with her? Nah, well, nah, I don't know, man. Like maybe you should go live with her. I don't know. You might be married. I don't know. 
No, no, if we have a commitment to Christ, we commit to his people. So, so listen, listen, that's why we have this thing called partnership. That's why we talk about membership. It's because we want God's wisdom to be visible in the local body. That's why one of the first things we, we say about what, what does it mean to be a member, the first thing is that, that you are a follower of Christ. The church is made up of those who confess he's Lord. Now he's cool. Now he's kind. He's what? Lord. The, the, the ones who say, no, nah, I'm going to submit every part of my life to him. The second thing that we have in our, our partnership covenant is it talks about participating in the sacraments or the ordinances. Now, that's some fancy words, but what it's talking about is baptism and communion. Now, listen, we talked about those keys, right? How the keys are the word of God. Now, the, the church fathers would say that, that the preached word, that's, that's the audible word, but, but the, the sacraments, that's the visible word. That God is, is communicating to you primarily through the preached word and through the visible word. And so the question is, we're talking about the keys of the kingdom. How do you get in? What is baptism picture? What is the message of it? Baptism is the entrance. Yeah. With every baptism, the church is reminded of the washing that had to take place for them to get in. The church is reminded when, when, the, when the person goes down of the death that made it possible. The church is reminded of the resurrection that made it possible. That's why it's interesting. When someone comes to me or one of the elders and says, you know, I want to get baptized. I say, praise God. Do you know what you're doing? We have, we have, a, we have a series of conversations with them because we think the keys are important. We don't want to communicate inappropriately. And so we're like, do you understand who Christ is? Do you understand that he is Lord? Do you understand that you will have to repent? Do you understand that you have to live a life of prayer? Do you understand that you have to join the church? And listen, there have been many times when people have come to me excited and said, I want to get baptized. And I say, but you have to treat him as Lord. And they go, well, and I go, not yet. Why? Because I don't want to communicate inappropriately. I want to be clear, you are entering into something that has meaning and that has responsibilities. And then it's like, it's like what keeps you in? We talked about the preaching of the gospel is what keeps you in. This is one of the reasons we do communion every week. We're reminded that we are kept in Christ, not because we did a really, really good job. It's because he offered his body and his blood for us. That's why we're kept. That's why we're kept. We were reminded that Christ continually welcomes us because he sets a table before us. Now, y'all know y'all eat food with your friends. You're not just like, let's go out to eat. I don't like you, though. Like, that's not how it works. Now, if you go out to eat with somebody, you're like, oh, we probably kind of friends. Listen, listen, you might have had a bad week. And you're like, I don't know if Jesus is my friend. But every week he says, now, I'm welcoming you to this table. I have prepared a meal for you. I am your friend. See, communion is, is food for the journey and, and a reminder of the friendship of Christ. And then again, we talked about church discipline. Like, if the keys is the word, how you, how you get out? Like, when you re reject the gospel, it's a rejection of your baptism. You're saying, I don't want to be washed. I don't want to identify with the, 
the, the, the risen Lord. It's, 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 it's a refusal of your fellowship and communion. Jesus offers you the meal and you say, I'm going to McDonald's instead. And then we talk about that, what it means to be a, a, a partner and a member in the church is that we are hearing and heeding the word of God. That we're not just letting it come into our ear and think it was nice. We're saying, God, if you say something, I'm going to set my face to obey it. That, 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 that we commit to submit our lives to the word of God. It, it both, we're both ascending to the contents of the teaching and the reordering of our lives according to the standards of his conduct. So, beloved, it is a commitment. But it also is the institution that Jesus promises to reveal the multifaceted wisdom of God, not only to you, but to heaven and to earth. Do you see the importance of the church? The church is not incidental to the plan of God. We have many, many who say, oh, I love Jesus, but I don't, I don't want to be a part of the church. How could you look at the revelation of Jesus at the gates of hell, when he says, I am the Messiah, and I am going to build my church, and say, I'll take the first part. I'm not so concerned about the last. If you reject the second part, you reject the first part, where he says, I'm the Lord, and you do what I say. Jesus died and rose to create the church. And nothing, nothing will destroy what he has created. When Christ comes back, there will be a church made up of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation who, who proclaim and display the reconciliation that we have with God and the reconciliation that we have with one another. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you have given us your word, that, that the keys of the kingdom of, of heaven is not a a, a secret code or, or, or some, some extravagant work that we do, but it is the proclamation of what you have done. Lord, I thank you that you welcome us all in. Lord God, I thank you that, that you have given us a safe refuge from the world in the church, a place where we can hear your word, where we can confess sins and re be reminded that we are forgiven where we can encourage and challenge one another, where your wisdom is revealed. Lord God, I pray that we would take your revelation seriously into heart, that we would declare you are Lord, and we would join you in the mission that you have to build your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.